0: Second daily dose of happy for the day, 4 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, we had a good one this morning, as usual. I mean, we always have good ones in the morning, and then we have better ones sometimes in the afternoon. It's like this ongoing competition; it just keeps ratcheting up and ratcheting up and getting better and better and better. And boy, am I excited about that, Wendy! I got to tell you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, good. I'm excited too.
0: (laughs) I have to admit, it's been a little challenging at times. Um, I, I, I will not. I refuse to say it's because it's a Monday. I refuse to make any excuses for it. The only excuse I would even venture to put out there isn't really an excuse. It's more like an anti-excuse. Like, I refuse to blame anything for this. (laughs) I have been dealing with uh, various issues today. I had to call the folks at Intuit, the people who make QuickBooks, because of a problem they were having on their website. Um, This is not a good time of year for the QuickBooks people to have problems with their website when it comes to filing IRS forms. And yet that's I would exactly, amend it.
2: Yeah, this is not a good time. That's it's not a good like thing. It's not no. a good time to call the IRS either. <laughs> that's right,
0: yes. And unfortunately, that's precisely what's happening. And none of the forms that I, I had I, – I submitted all the paperwork. I you know I, I clicked the buttons and, okay, pay the bill, You know, file the form, all that. I did that in the beginning of January, and they still don't have the forms up where I can actually – know view them and verify that it actually worked and in fact uh, they, they kept saying on one hand the federal unemployment for uh, my wife's business was not paid and on the other hand it was paid and they couldn't decide which was which so <laughs> I spent an hour and a half on the phone with QuickBooks just uh, trying very hard to be happy and to not let it get to me the fact that I was dealing with somebody who clearly was uh, on her first day and getting training on the job <laughs> just mm. <laughs> it was a yeah it was a time for um Looking for the happy thing. So you know what I was happy about? I was happy when the call was done. That was great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a curiosity for you. Maybe that could possibly give you some insight as to how that call went down the way it did. Okay. you want to play? Sure. Yeah, let's go. Do you recall how you felt before you picked up the phone to call them?
0: I can't recall specifically, however, it was shortly after Tom and I had finished this morning's podcast, so I'm pretty sure I was in a good mood.
2: Okay. Any thoughts that you had about what it would be like to call them at this time of year?
0: Actually, no. No. Okay. And and I know where you're going with this. I can't honestly Mm -hmm. think where where I was that was making me feel this way. The only thing I can think of, and this would helped explain it is I wasn't really enthusiastic just in general about having to follow up on this issue because it was one of those issues that felt like well geez I shouldn't have to do this you know (laughs) and and that's where I think some negativity could have gotten into it
2: that's very possible because you know I I wanted to joke with you when you said you know you had this thing go down it wasn't exactly great it was a little challenging you don't want to be negative and I thought you know first of all there's nothing wrong with just saying negative words especially if the intention behind it is i want to find a way to flip it around i mean it's good sometimes to start out with okay this sucked but that's not what i want what i really want is something good but i'm not quite sure how to get there and let's talk about it so we can get there
1: this is true
2: um but the other thing is you know if you didn't have like if did do you recall if you had a specific impulse to call them Or was it more like it was on your to-do list? No, this was definitely
0: on the to-do list, yeah.
2: Okay, okay. Um, And and I can't say one way or another about, you know, how that worked for you, but I will say in my world I have learned generally not to pick up the phone and call someone else unless I get an impulse to do it, even if it's on my to-do list. Just because I have a really bad track record (laughs) of, Going down the wrong path emotionally with people who don't meet my expectations. And so I've just, out of my own sense of survival, I've had to learn I don't ever just pick up the phone anymore and make business calls. Mm. I, I wait until I feel a sense of, okay, now. So I can make a list of all the things that need to get done and all the people I need to call. Um And when I start to feel, uh, oh, I think I can call someone, I'll look at my list and I'll look over and I'll see which one kind of lights up to me, like which one does it feel like now I can call them. Well, well, we're we're definitely touching (laughs) on something.
0: We're touching on something here that, that I think is worth looking at for myself anyway, because traditionally, and by traditionally, I mean in my own history, I have a tendency to make lists for the purpose of working through them as quickly as I can to get them out of the way. And then what actually happens is I start working through the list and more stuff gets added to it. And then I clear that out and more stuff gets added to it. And then I start to get frustrated, like, I only had five items. Now I have 10 and I just did seven of them. What's <laughs> going on here? <laughs> and that—that that is a, a, a theme that kept repeating throughout my life. I mean, I started noticing it about oh, pretty recently, three or four years ago, something like that, and recognized that. I didn't like that pattern because essentially what it meant was I was really good at solving problems, so life kept giving me more problems. I said, wait a minute. I don't like that. I, it's not like I love problems. I, I really don't love problems. I don't want to focus but, on problems as much. But that's but apparently an incredible
2: awareness that I think what you just hit upon is something probably many people experience, and they don't realize they keep creating more problems because they're so good at solving them, and they're actually focused on it without realizing
0: it well plus I, i'm a I, I would fall into the category of what most people would call a computer geek which means i'm I, i'm good at computers i know how to handle them i know how to solve problems on them and so word gets around you know how that is yeah, I, mean, you're, hey, I you're think, pretty good at computer I, I think you
2: dropped a few seconds say that sentence again oh
0: i, I was just saying that uh, uh you probably recognize this too because i know you're pretty good with computers once the word gets out that you're a computer geek. It gets out, and people start, you know, oh, hey, can you help me with this? <laughs> and and that's what I was noticing over time as, you know, I would I would try to help people and so forth, and i get more requests for help, and the, the number of requests would keep increasing in addition to my own problems that I'm trying to deal with, and those would keep increasing. And it's like this ever-increasing pile of problems that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I said, enough of this. I don't need this anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this weekend I was talking to my sister, and uh, she's met somebody – that um was looking for some help with website development which of course i thought of you and i know you don't do that you know like you don't take on new clients but it made me laugh and anyway she said well wendy i know you have several websites and um my friend asked and she said i told my friend that you had several websites and he said oh well maybe your sister could you know build a website for me of course i would pay her And I said to my sister, I said, I know you don't know the differences here, but having a website and building it myself is not the same thing as building it for someone else. I barely know what I'm doing to make my own get up there. Um, But what was interesting is I felt this specific feeling when she was asking me the question, would you be willing to do this for him? I and help resolve their issues. I wanted to say yes, I could but i had to say no i real i'm not a web developer that's not my thing um i did give her a couple options as to where her friend might be able to look but i just i just had a notice a, an awareness inside of me i wanted to say yes i could do it even if it meant i didn't know what i was doing <laughs> i almost went there but i'm like no i don't do this <laughs> and then when i said no then the feeling actually changed to feeling really comfortable oh like oh i did the right thing yeah And and the thought that came to me was I did the right thing because now her friend has the opportunity to, like, look outside of himself and maybe look for resources. He may learn some some things along the way. And I kind of got this sense that if I had even pretended to say, yes, I can do it, I'd be robbing somebody of the opportunity of something else even if I don't know what it is.
0: Yeah, that's true. That, that that You're right. That happens quite a bit, actually, particularly with websites. I do have to give your friend of your sister credit because most people who ask for that help, what their real intention is to try to get as inexpensively as, as possible. And, and this person was at least willing to say, I'm willing to pay for it. Now, how much they're willing <laughs> to pay, I don't really know. But, you know, at least they had their, their heart in the right place. I can't tell you how many times I was approached by somebody – Usually a friend who said, can you help me with this? And what they really meant is, can you do it for me? But I don't have any money to pay you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, my. But but anyway, you were talking about how you, okay, now I just lost my train of thought.
0: Well, just don't let it run over you. That's all. (laughs) Oh,
2: okay. I don't know if there's something technical on your end, but I felt like, your voice dropped a couple times where I yeah. lost a couple parts of your sentences. So I don't know if that's something on your end you needed to know about. So I just thought I'd tell you. Well,
0: tell you. well, I, I mentioned that I have to do a complete rebuild of my computer. We were talking about that before um, we got going here. And unfortunately, that is a symptom of the overall problem. So once I do my rebuild, which will be the second one I've had to do in two months, and I'm practically shaking my head. Oh, out. that's oh, right. No. That's
2: right. We were, we were getting little Ugh. drops in the call before you did the rebuild.
0: Exactly, yeah yeah oh, and, okay. and that issue came back in part because of this other issue, so yeah it's like here's another example, you know problems piling up on top of problems and i'm 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 tired of that i I'm interested in solutions from from now on, so I'm just going to hang up a new shingle outside that says problems, no problems here, only solutions. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And you might want to rethink that one too, because the only way you can bring up, with, come up with a solution is if you have a problem.
0: Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Okay. So it's, what do you do? Scratch <laughs> the shingle. The shingle's going into the into the trash. I'm done with it.
2: Okay. Here's another idea. I don't come up with problems or solutions, but I know the universe can handle them all. Oh, I like that one. That's good. Yeah,
0: really good. <laughs> I'm in favor. All in favor, say aye.
2: The, the equation. <laughs>
0: It's funny, though, because this all ties in beautifully with the topic for the day because, I mean, when you when you look outside of law of attraction circles to, you know, the real world, the world that is, the one that we're all struggling like crazy to uh, say, you know, we're not going to pay attention to the world that is. We're going to think about the world as we want it to be. But for the rest of the world, the world that is is still the world that is (laughs) because they all live by default. And one of the interesting aspects of that is there are – a litany of political issues and, and you know, news-related issues and so forth that people get all worked up about. And you know, most of the time, it doesn't really pay for us to, uh, to focus on any one of I them. And this is probably another case where it still doesn't pay to focus on but we thought we'd do it anyway just because it would be fun. Um, a lot of people get worked up about the fact that there is a dramatic inequity in the amount of wealth that is held by a small percentage of the population and the numbers vary, but we've all heard them. Like, you know, 1% of the population holding like 90% of all the wealth and resources or something like that. I, I don't know what, what's accurate, but that's the, the point is, you know, there's a small group that has everything and then the rest of us have next to nothing, which is probably a bit of an exaggeration, but nevertheless, that's, that's the formula. That's the belief, right? That's the belief that permeates so much of society. So we thought, well, let's talk about that because the law of attraction, actually has something to say about it, or more precisely, the teachers of the law of attraction has something to say about that. And of course, I'm thinking specifically about Abraham because they have actually directly addressed that problem, right?
2: Yes. Oh, absolutely. I've heard them address it a number of times. Yeah. Because, you know, probably if if we were to distill all the subjects that people come up with when they go to say, see Abraham, mm-hmm. I would say that the biggest majority of that's redundant. <laughs> the majority biggest majority <laughs> of questions. I want the smallest majority. <laughs> yeah, the majority of people want to know where's my money.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay,
2: so we understand it's in the vortex. Now, how do we get it out of the vortex <laughs> yes. and into my bank? Where's where's, the where's key? my money? <laughs> but yeah, people are always wanting to know where their part of the money is.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and and quite rightly so. You know, that that's an important point. It's something that we easily get hung up on. So. Do you you want to give us like the primer? How would Abraham answer the question about you know why is it that you know one percent of the world's population has ninety percent of the wealth and the rest are stuck with nothing, which is an exaggeration?
2: It absolutely has to do with their vibration, and what they think about money. And um, one of the story that I was going to tell is something that I've heard Abraham say a number of times: how there was an artist who had her portfolio with her in the car, and she was driving from the East Coast to the West Coast with the expectation of trying to get hired, I think, at some movie studios. Mm. And she was going to show her portfolio to show what she can do. Um, I don't know if it was in terms of – I don't think it was animation, but somehow she was going to do something that had to do with, you know, something in L.A.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: And as she was there, she hadn't started meeting with people yet, but somebody broke into her car and stole her portfolio. Ooh. And she was devastated because she's like, well, what do I have to show? And now this isn't about money, and yet the premise is. So Abraham said, well, it's not a problem. You're an artist. You can draw some more pictures, right? She's like, well, yes. And and they said, well, as a matter of fact, the stuff in your portfolio is your old work, a.k.a. your old vibration. Nice. If you want to show them your – what you do now that's your new work that is your current vibration now the reason i bring up that story while we're talking about money is because that's one way that abraham has talked about whoever you were is old news whoever you are is your point of attraction today and a lot of people's point of attraction today is is steeped in poverty steeped in poverty thoughts i don't have enough You know, I have more bills at the end of the month than I have paycheck. And when people chronically focus on that, they're chronically in arrears, they're chronically in debt. Um, Those are the people who have one problem after another after another that the solution is some kind of financial, will require finances, but they're the ones that don't have it. And so I think in terms of this topic where, you know, many people talk about it's such a small percentage that holds the biggest amount of wealth, and the biggest percentage of our population has very little wealth, um, I believe it will always be that way, because it's always based on how people think about money. And so even if somebody were to, you know, like gather up all the wealth in the universe and equally distribute it amongst all of humanity... It wouldn't take any time at all for the balance to to flip again, and the people who used to be poor would be poor again, and the people who used to be wealthy would be wealthy again.
0: I would throw in a caveat. Because
2: people have certain ways of thinking about money that constantly produces money, I, and vice versa.
0: I throw in one caveat, and I'm sure you'll agree with it. And that is, the scenario you described assumes that the vast majority of people, or even a significant minority of people, don't learn how to become deliberate creators.
2: Okay, say that creators. again. You say that again. We dropped you. The, uh, um, okay. The caveat would be?
0: Uh, the caveat would be that a significant minority or, or so of people would not become deliberate creators, because that would kind of change the, the formula. You, we're, we're assuming that they're just going to stay stuck in their what-is scenario.
2: I'm not quite sure I understand that. Well, if, that if, if a
0: whole bunch of people learn how to become deliberate creators, they start creating their own wealth. They start attracting their own wealth, So, so the numbers start to fall apart. The idea that 1% of the population retains all the wealth, that starts to fail once a large percentage of the, quote, impoverished, unquote, people start to learn how to become deliberate creators instead of just creating by default all the time.
2: And I would say that's accurate, and I guess in my scenario, it's all things being the same where people still have the same thoughts. Even if you evenly distribute the money, those who still have poverty thoughts, they'll become poverty-ridden again. Right, exactly, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And another person in a workshop thing was this man talked about how he had lost a business through just some really poor circumstances and he was at a um, um, kind of older in his life and he just felt like he couldn't possibly replace everything that he lost. He didn't think he had enough time to make that happen at his age. And I loved Abraham's response, and they said, well, you know, the vibration that you're at that got you to where, you know, you had a lot of money and had been very successful is still with you.
1: Mm.
2: It's who you are. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, you know, turn your efforts, turn your thoughts towards recreating wealth, and, and, and it'll be right there because your vibration's right there. It wouldn't take. It doesn't take a lot of effort because you're already there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: I would say in my life, I have seen. You know, because I like how Abraham talks about making small incremental changes, mm-hmm. and that eventually moves the needle in a big way. And I I have seen how that has happened in my life, where when I was really young, like in my teens and twenties, I only knew poverty, or poverty might be too strong, but I only knew financial difficulty and Always living paycheck to paycheck because that's how my parents were and that's what was modeled to me And that's how I thought it was. I mean, I didn't know any different <laughs> um, And so that's how I lived sure and then as time went on I was now getting older in my 20s and even in my 30s and I was still paycheck to paycheck Oh yeah. And it was hard and then in my mid 30s. It was still hard And it wasn't until I went to my first Tony Robbins in 1995 that I started to see some possibility of hope
1: for Mm -hmm. change.
2: Um, And then eventually, and it really wasn't until I really started to understand law of attraction, that monetary increase became very um, sustainable in my life. In other words, I would hold on to what I had, and then I'd increase it a little bit. And I'd hold on to that and i'd increase it a little bit and i'd hold on to that and i'd increase it a little bit and each stair step that i made i was having new beliefs that would just kind of pop in like wow i wonder what it'd be like to go to the grocery store and not have to be estimating how much how many dollars worth of groceries i'm putting in my cart because i don't want to be embarrassed when i get up to the checkout line and have to put stuff back because i don't have enough cash to pay for it oh yeah yeah, I mean, because that's what used to happen. I mm-hmm. mean, I remember in my 20s where my my guy friend and I, he, he and I would go grocery sh- shopping together and we were such good guesstimators.
1: Mm.
2: You know, and eventually we're like, every item, you know, we would average 50 cents. And then, of course, as years went on, every item we'd average as a dollar and right. then a dollar 50. Right. <laughs> now when I go to Whole Foods, every item I estimate is five bucks. <laughs> 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 but the point was that, I was starting to, like, get new thoughts, like, what would it be like if? And then I remember the first time I went grocery shopping, and I didn't count how many dollars worth were going into the shopping cart, and I knew whatever the amount was, I was going to have enough to pay for it. Mm. And I went, wow. And I'd go, like, how did I get here? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to ask that question. I'm going to say, I love being here. This is great. Yeah. I wonder what's next. Mm. And then I remember there came a point financially for me where I remember knowing that somehow money had grown enough in my my experience that I could buy like an like if I was just out with friends and I wanted to like do some window shopping I could spend 50 bucks without having to think twice. That was a really big deal for me. Sure. And then I remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, I wonder what it would be like to just know that If there was a $300 item that came into my awareness if I wanted it I could have it (laughs) and I wouldn't have to make a big deal about could I afford it you know or well maybe I could pay for it next month or if I buy this you know it's like and now I could buy anything anything I want for 300 Mm. Mm bucks I can just do it I don't have to think twice yeah and I, I remember thinking to myself and this wasn't too long ago Wow I've gotten to this point this is so different from the days when I was counting every single dollar that I put into the grocery cart.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think last weekend, or one day last week, I went grocery shopping two different stores, and between the two I spent $300. And I remember thinking, I don't think about that anymore. It's all just part of my lifestyle.
1: That's went, wow. very cool. yeah. And so
2: to me, that is kind of my story of how uh, this topic of, you know, wealthy people will stay wealthy and poor people will stay poor Regardless if you reshuffle the deck of who has what money, Mm -hmm. because vibration is what calls it to us right, or takes it away from us, if you will.
0: Yeah, and 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 in the context of what you're talking about there, I mean, you you gave a great uh, presentation of what your story is. And my story also ties in, although in a different way, in a day perhaps, in a day, no, in a way (laughs) – in a way that is more <laughs> relevant to the people who get all upset about this issue. Because I can't say I ever got all upset about it, but I have given a lot of thought to it. And, in fact, I wrote a novel around the time of the financial crisis. Um, my motivation was basically to help people understand what really caused the financial crisis because what what we've been told caused it, that was just mainly smoke and mirrors, and most people don't really understand how the monetary system really works. And so I was bound and determined I was going to teach people, you know, this is how it really works. And and my, what I was teaching them was correct. But what I didn't realize at the time was that by focusing on all this stuff, I was setting myself up big time because I kept focusing on all these terrible, dysfunctional things about the monetary system and about, you know, how the whole thing works and how, you know, Peter robs Paul and, and, and so on and so forth. And I won't get into all the details of that. Because I don't want to relive it again. But the point is, it affected my life. It affected my life in a big way. I mean, I struggled financially from the financial crisis on. Now, part of the reason I struggled was because I lost most of my clients. I I had a fairly good web design business at that and an online marketing business. And I lost most of them, mainly because most of my clients at that time were nonprofit organizations. And let me tell you, 2008 wiped out the nonprofit industry to a large extent. All the small mm-hmm. ones just kind of disappeared. That well, that was my business. It was gone. <laughs> but I also realized after, long after the fact, after studying the law of attraction and so forth, that my mindset contributed greatly to that. I, I now believe that if I had had a different mindset, if I had had a mindset of abundance and if I had written from a mindset of abundance, my experience would have been quite different from what i had i don't necessarily think i would have kept those clients i think those clients probably would have disappeared anyway but i think they would have been quickly replaced by other clients that didn't happen those clients think,
2: probably would have said it again because you've
0: dropped I, I said new clients would have replaced them different kinds of clients mm. not not nonprofits necessarily but different clients of clients would have, would have replaced them and, and that did not happen and I'm certain that's because of my mindset because I was so focused on what's wrong with the system, what's wrong with the system, what's wrong with the system. Well, you stick on that long enough, and let me tell you, you get a wrong system. <laughs> I guarantee well, it. Well, you know,
2: and, Walt, you brought up, an ex- I mean, such a brilliant example because if you something where unless you're really focused in understanding how what you focus on is what you cause to bring into your life, um, I, I could see how many people would think that the book subject the subject of the book you were writing was viable, oh, it was yeah. important, it was timely, it's good information. Mm-hmm. But the one distinction is, just like you said at the end, because you came at it from what's wrong instead of what could be right or how can we fix this. Yeah. You know, even if even if you want to tell the tale of here's how the system got broken but here's what we can do to fix it you can still tell the tale of how it got broke if you still want to explain it but as long as your intention is to spin the story around and help give people hope and inspiration you know then that would be a very different energetic vibration that you would be broadcasting
0: Mm -hmm. and therefore
2: what would come into your life in your life
0: yeah, what, what would come into my life would be a very different experience, for sure. I mean, it would be it would be dramatically different. And the only good thing I can say that came out of that period, and it was a very good thing, is that's when I saw The Secret for the first time. While I was in the middle of writing that book is when I saw The Secret. And I didn't have enough information yet to put two and two together. That that information that I would, would need would not come until I would actually studied Abraham Hicks for a while. But at mm. least I was starting to get information that would help me personally wrestle with the, with the problem and turn into a problem that was actually a, a search for a solution because n- now what I understand is yeah the financial system is broken the monetary system is deeply broken and has been for over a hundred years but we'll never solve that by looking at how broken it is and we'll never solve it by getting a political movement together to fix it and we'll never solve it by you know clamoring to Congress to fix it And we'll never solve it by complaining to the the monetary powers it, that be to solve it because they're not going to none of that's going to work the only way we'll ever solve it is by coming at it from a completely different direction and that's the direction of what would it take to empower people to actually improve their monetary lot in life that was one of the things that motivated me where the law of attraction was concerned i said that would be cool if i could learn that
2: well, what yeah. if we choose to focus on the fact that nothing's broken
0: yeah well, it, and, it, and it took we, me a while to get we there. We are thriving. <laughs>
2: we are thriving. And that we always will be thriving. That there's no end to our thriving. Oh,
0: yeah. But that, that took me like seven or eight years to get there. Seriously, it took me a long time to turn that part <laughs> around. And right. there are people who are still stuck in it. In fact, if you'll ever notice, I mean, I, I'm not suggesting you spend a lot of time on this because it's not healthy. But, <laughs> but if you ever have like a you know, spare five minutes, just do a Google on, you know, articles about the inequities of wealth. And just try to dig in a little bit to find out who the authors of these people are and and, and try to find something out about their lives. It's amazing how often you'll find that they have financial problems in their own lives. I mean, the correlation is almost a perfect (laughs) one-to-one. It's just – it's And
2: and it doesn't surprise me. No. Because law of attraction works all the time – I think Abraham used to say this years ago, but it's something I still hold on to, which is law of attraction is not a moral meter. Right. It doesn't determine it's going to dole out its positive stuff to people that it likes or does good charitable work, and it's going to give all the bad stuff to people that somehow the universe doesn't like because it thinks that they're, you know, immoral <laughs> yeah, right. it's like it, it rains on both the wealthy and the unwealthy it rains on the just and the unjust those things it just law of attraction is an equal opportunity employer mm-hmm. and so you know it's kind of like the only currency the law of attraction knows is vibrational vib, vibrational broadcast
0: even it's that concept, only currency that that concept of vibration that one alone took me many years because I didn't have the right resources. I, I, I wasn't reading the right stuff. I wasn't looking at the right stuff. And so I kept saying to myself, what the bleep is this vibration stuff? I couldn't find any <laughs> reference. What, what are they talking about? Vibration. What, is it some sort of a woo-woo concept or something? <laughs> Give me a break. I can do better than this.
2: <laughs> well, you know, um, I've been listening to a lot of different Abraham clips lately from YouTube and I'm hearing them talk more and more about vibration. They hadn't always used that word as liberally as they are now. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I kind of got convinced to use that word just recently because, well, because of what I said. The currency of the law of attraction is vibrational offering. Mm. Now, they didn't say it that way. And if they did, I don't remember. But um, it's like I really got it, that what law of attraction recognizes only is vibration. And, like, I had someone today on LinkedIn reach out to me and just ask, you know, would I accept, you know, their connection, and I did. And then he started up a dialogue, and he was talking about how, you know, he's even though his business is in real estate, but that he's been studying law of attraction for quite a while... And, you know, sometimes when you connect with somebody on LinkedIn or Facebook, you don't really know if their intentions are really because they want to start a conversation with someone who's like-minded or if they're trying to sell something, but right. they're kind of like soft-pedaling till they get to the sales pitch. Exactly,
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we've all seen that.
2: And so so this person was talking about, you know, that he had come to understand, you know, that visualization was really important to manifest something with law of attraction. But yet he had a hard time visualizing um and so he said what do you think and i responded i said well visualizing is helpful to some people but i said it's your vibrational offering what you feel that the law of attraction responds to so whatever is going to get you to feel that's all that matters and then he kind of he came back with another response and he talked about how he wanted this yellow corvette Um, And he had a picture of it on his desk, but that didn't seem to evoke much emotion for him. Mm. But something about when he turned it into a video, all of a sudden his emotions got deeply engaged.
0: Mm. Okay.
2: And I was like, okay. And I know there's a company or something called Mind Movies.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. That
2: I've seen before that kind of take the ideas of what you want and they turn it into a movie. So it's it does engage more of the senses.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I can see how that's impactful. Sure. Um, and so, I, like I said, I don't really know what he wanted, but he was saying, but this this movie thing is really great, don't you agree? <laughs> and again, I went back to my point. Hey, anything that can engage your feelings is good, but I'm going to stick to my story which is engage your feelings because it's the only currency that the law of attraction responds to so some people can engage their feelings through sounds some people through sights some see some people can engage their feelings through tactile touch whatever it takes it's kind of this is where i'm saying i'm an equal opportunity law of attraction teacher Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) i don't
2: care what modality you bring to the table yeah right because there's only one that counts
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, In fact, uh, something I was reading in one of the Abraham books over the weekend, there's only two emotions, positive and negative, which is kind of funny when you think about it because we think in terms of like, well, there's happiness, there's joy, there's love, there's appreciation, there's gratitude, and on the other hand, there's there's sadness and there's fear and anger and, and all this other. Well, no, no, there's only two. What do you mean only <laughs> there, there's only two? There's only two? But as I thought about it, and as I have thought about it over time, I've realized Yeah, actually, in a sense, there really is only two because, you know, we we attribute certain differences to, say, the difference between love and happiness. But if I really look at it honestly, I say to myself, they feel very similar. You know, I I think think of them differently, but they feel similar.
2: There's definitely different degrees of feeling negative, and there's different degrees of feeling positive. Mm. So I think saying negative or positive um, is just very generalized. It is. But all those other words you're using, mad, sad, glad, angry, frustrated, you know, exuberant, whatever, those are more specific. But I think that it all says the same thing.
0: I think it does too. Especially when I came to the conclusion that what it really meant was, do I prefer it or don't I prefer it? And Mm. how, how emotionally do I prefer it and how emotionally do I not prefer it? Then I started to realize that that for me is what emotion is really all about. It's... It's strength and weakness of prefer or don't prefer. And the rest are just adjectives. <laughs> yes.
2: And the law of attraction knows what you prefer or what you don't prefer based on the, how you feel about any given subject. Yeah, and the vi- how you feel about something is your, vibra- your vibrational broadcast.
0: That, that vibrational thing, that, that's also an interesting question because I, I had a person. Uh, I'm not sure that he's a listener, but somebody contacted us through the LOA Today website, and he was raising some questions. I, I won't repeat. what his original question was verbatim because it's not polite to say on the air, but paraphrasing it is: Why isn't it? Why is it that uh, you keep advocating this stuff when? Yeah, it's great if you have a nice lifestyle, but the rest of the time, life goes into a bad place. <laughs> that's a nice way of saying it. You can imagine what his, that's a nice way of saying it was. Well, we've gotten into an email exchange and he, he's definitely looking at the whole thing from a real world perspective. And in that real world perspective, he wants to know, so is the law of attraction an actual verifiable law or is it just an extension of psychology? And what this vibration thing is that of actual verifiable law or, or is that just metaphysics? And, and his questions were good ones because, as mm-hmm. I think about it, I mean, I don't know of any good way to measure vibration. I know that science has been able to measure, for instance, the harmonic vibration of any object. But that doesn't mean that right. they've gotten further than that to you know, be able to measure what a thought is or, or what the th- thought's impact is on a thing or whatever. Science is nowhere near being able to measure that. Does that mean the phenomenon doesn't exist? No. I mean, when Einstein first created the theory of relativity, there was absolutely no way to prove it. And he knew it. It took like a couple of generations before we finally started to see the proof to his theory. His theory was correct. I mean, was, he was dead on with it, but there was no way to prove it. I, I kind of see law of attraction theory and deliberate creation theory being very much in the same place. We don't have a good way to, to prove it. And we've got problems with yeah. it, too. I mean, because it's like, if let's say I wanted to prove that um, when subject A thinks about something positive, they produce a positive result. Well... I need to know more than just that the subject they thought about one thing. I need to know what their entire thought structure is. I need to know that, yes, they're staying not only on that thought, but they're being true to it afterward, and they were true to it before, or that there were no contradictions in the way that we're going to reverse it. How on, how on earth would a scientific researcher check that? I can't even imagine how to do that, that kind of study. It just seems impossible.
2: Well, on, the, on, on a similar note, all religions at least that I'm aware of, is based on believing in something that cannot be proven.
1: True, yeah.
2: And, you know, not wanting to get into a huge religious debate about it, because some theologians believe that they can prove what they believe.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. But
2: I, I would suspect that what they're using to prove what they believe is still not scientific. That's right. And there's still so many things that even science cannot prove because we don't have instrumentation yet that can do it, nor has anybody even thought how to get into certain things that maybe there is yet to prove. Exactly. I mean, science is still new. Yeah. And, you know, we know today more than we knew yesterday, but, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to know a heck of a lot more than we know today.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So in a way, in a way, everything we choose to believe, whether it's law of attraction or any type of religious belief or being an atheist who believes in nothing, well, I don't know if that's true, but you know what I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get it. All of
2: it takes an element of personal trust in something. Yes. And so where you choose to put your personal trust is completely up to you, up to the individual.
1: Oh, yeah. And,
0: and now, that's that's why it know. belongs in metaphysics. Certainly the law of attraction at this point is a metaphysical concept. It could eventually become part of physics, but we're not there mm-hmm. yet. And metaphysical,
2: you know, some people think that's a really big word, but metaphysical just means outside of our five natural senses.
0: Yeah, actually, more more precisely, when you look at the roots of the word, because we now, these days, we actually have a, a sense of what meta means, because we're familiar with the word metadata. And metadata is the explanatory data that goes along with data. <laughs> so, you know, we have like governments who are, who are scanning for data and, and, and major corporations like Google and Facebook and so forth that are scanning for data. And what they're really scanning is the metadata. Well, the same concept also applies with uh, metaphysics. Metaf- metadata in, or the, the equivalent of metadata in metaphysics Is It's kind of like following what physics is all about, but it's looking at the the data that goes along with it or or the structures that go along with it. We can't necessarily draw a direct connection between them, but it follows the same pattern. Um, When you really look at what happens in science, most of science has a philosophy associated with it. Yes, it's all about proofs. Yes, it's all about theorems. Yes, it's all about hypotheses and following the scientific method but you are going to be very hard-pressed to find any scientist in history who didn't have a philosophy that went along with his science, and that's the metaphysical side.
2: Hmm. Okay. Well, and bottom line, you've still got to believe in something, yeah. or even if you choose not to believe in something, you're still choosing to believe in nothing, which is still a belief. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, that's right. So we're, we're down to belief and- again. <laughs>
2: It's kind of like everything is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Every, everything is down to what you choose to believe in. And so it's. I think most people make a choice of what they believe in based on what evidence they think they can prove or that they have experienced.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: Uh, but, I mean, there's there's no doubt to me that whatever, you know, Abraham says that a belief is nothing more than a thought that you've thought many times. I love that. And I ha- yeah, I used to think, wow, that's kind of freaky, but then I played with that for like the last decade, and I recognize the things that I do hold as beliefs, I have thought on many, many times. Oh, yeah. And I have lots of evidence of it in my life, and then I now understand that the only reason I have evidence is because I've thought on it something and focused on it enough for law of attraction to bring it into my life so that I would have the evidence.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I would say that that concept, that a, a belief is a thought that you keep thinking over and over again, the first time I heard that, I got it. I didn't have to. That, that's one of the few concepts that I got right away. I didn't have to test it for the next <laughs> 10 years. That one made so much sense to me because as I look at the entire spectrum of human knowledge, Everything from the sciences to the social sciences to mathematics to the arts. And I look at that whole range of all the experts and the leading figures in all those uh, those, those disciplines and what they had to say. My God, it was all belief. And they just, the ones who repeated it most often and got it repeated by others, that became fact. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, that was a great insight. When I read that one, I said, okay, I like this, Abraham. <laughs> this is good stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, this what I'm gonna talk about is like sort of sacrilegious, but I've been um there are these programs on right now on I don't even remember what station I'm watching, about the David Koresh Waco
0: Oh uh, yeah, right. That's, scenario yeah, that scenario that call.
2: and um a little bit before we got on the call today I was watching just one little snippet and it was where David Koresh um was so studying the Bible and so studying revelations and um had told people, because this story is being told by nine survivors
1: Mm.
2: of the whole Waco thing. Right. And so these are people that were in their 20s and 30s when it happened, and now, of course, not. Um, But they're just recalling things and things that David said. And, you know, it's like in, in the earlier part of the people following him, you know, he likened himself to Christ. Then he started saying he was him. And then he was saying he he was the chosen one. And then it's like he would go so far as to say, you know, more specific things that we know Jesus of the Bible said about himself or things that historians said about Jesus. But he started to say these things. And as they're building it in this television program, I was seeing, oh, this is how a belief is formed. He's focusing his attention on certain passages of the Bible Identifying with them, and then once that's pretty solid, he starts telling people about it,
1: mm-hmm. and then he
2: starts claiming it for himself, right, and then little by little, it's like he didn't wake up one day and decide that he wanted to be a messiah and die at thirty three years old the way Jesus did It's like little by little, he focused on specific things until he kind of became the whole package of what he of the delusion that he was creating for himself that's right, but it was one one belief at a time because he'd think on one thing and focus on it so intensely that all of a sudden he became it and And then he'd take on another scripture and make it his own and then he became it mm -hmm. and really fascinating to me oh yeah very fascinating you know how in the life of one person you could go from being a kid named david to all of a sudden thinking that you're a messiah led to lead you know a group of people
0: Right. In fact, uh, there's another way to look at the same question about how does belief become fact? How, how does repeating the thought become something that we believe is fact? Um, and that is the field of propaganda, which we typically associate with like the Soviet Union or Nazi Germany or something like that. But propaganda has existed in many different forms for centuries, probably even millennia. And the the gist of of propaganda is if you want people to believe something regardless of its truth because the truth really doesn't weigh into it you repeat it over and over again and you repeat it far and wide as much as you possibly can because if you do that over time people will adopt the thought as if it were a, a belief as a, a a thing that they believe in as true And and when you look at that phenomenon that phenomenon shows up in so many ways it's very current it happens in so many aspects of today's modern life that clearly the pattern holds true time after time after time. Okay, so let's take it back to our original topic. Our original topic is the, the, the divide between the haves and the have-nots, the wealthy having mm-hmm. you know, 1% of the population having 90% of the resources and the rest of the population having next to nothing by comparison. Well, that's a belief. That's a belief that has really permeated popular culture in a huge, huge way, and a lot of people have bought into it. How did it happen? By having it repeated over and over and over and over and over say, again. I,
2: I've certainly heard it many, many, many times in my lifetime.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: You S- know, and so even if I don't hold it to be true, I do believe it is a societal truth mm-hmm. that the mainstream, is, uh, you know, society believes that. So, um, so, so, here's, so like here's the when question. When I grew up.
0: Oh, go ahead. Tell go your ahead. story. No, no. Tell your story first.
2: I say, when I grew up, um, I I just recall since probably seven, eight, nine years old, my parents fighting over money. That was a a very common thing. I remember my mother buying some new bathroom towels, and I watched her hide the receipt under her jewelry box. Oh, no. (laughs) And I said, Mom, why did you put that there? Because my mother's very orderly, so to have her put a receipt under her jewelry box (laughs) seemed weird to me. Mm. And she said, oh, I don't want your father to see this. And I said, why? And she said, well, because... He'll get mad at me because I put it on a charge card, and he'll have to. Pay. It's something he's not going to be happy about because he wouldn't want me to have spent money. And I was old enough to know that credit card companies sent out statements, that ah. they said, "But won't he know about it at the end <laughs> yes, of the month?"
1: Right.
2: <laughs> he said, "Yeah, but I don't want to deal with it until then." Well, that was that made a very um, what's the word? I- imprintable impression on me. And it it caused me to recognize that there was something not right in our family finances if my mother felt the need to hide things because what I knew about my mother's character is that she was honest always, although in this case maybe she wasn't, (laughs) but I I recognized her as a very honest mom, um, and she always wanted to do the right thing. And I thought, well, the only thing I can conceive was, well, if she's honest and wants to do the right thing, Then there must be a really deep problem in our family finances that would cause her to go to these (laughs) lengths. So, then to add to this, now fast forward to I think I'm in junior high, and I'm watching my father do the monthly bills, and he had this little three-week three-ring binder, and he had his little adding machine out, and you know he'd be going through the statements and putting things in his ledger because he was a bookkeeper, you know, so he did it all legitimately. And I remember looking over his shoulder, and he abbreviated something, and it said Finching, F-I-N, space, C H G. I said, Dad, what's Finching? And he said, finance charge. And I went, okay, but what does it mean? Mm. Here's his words to me. This is something you pay when you're an adult.
0: Okay.
2: Went, huh. Now I'm sure eventually I understood the concept of being charged interest for taking out, you know, by putting um money on credit cards and not paying it all off at the end of the month. I'm sure eventually I did learn that concept, but the first the first definition he ever gave me about what finching meant was this is what you do as an adult.
0: Quite a mess. Well, I got to
2: tell you when I, when I was a kid My first goal in life was to become an adult. Because I recognized adults had the power and kids didn't, so I wanted to be one of them. Sure. So don't you know that at 18, when I got my first credit card because it was mailed to me, I couldn't wait to put finching on my ledger. Why? Because then I could say I was an adult because adults pay finching. And do you know, Walt, it wasn't until my 30s that I realized that I had been believing in the necessity of paying finching every single month on all of my credit cards in order for me to really know that I was an adult. Wow. I mean, how's that for really bizarre? Yeah. But that's what got locked into me in terms of I thought that thought over and over, going, I want to have finching, I want to have finching, I want to have finching, because I want to be an adult so bad.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, It took a
2: lot for me to not have finching anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good thing. But we are so programmed from a very young age because we do want to become adults, right? We do want to grow into adults. We want to be one of the big people. And we're so programmed on a whole bunch of stuff that when you look back at it, you say, what on earth were our parents thinking? What on earth were our teachers thinking?
2: And maybe they weren't.
0: Maybe they were. Maybe weren't. they
2: were just passing on what they knew.
0: Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was just the passing on of the thought that keeps repeated over and over again until people believe it. Well, well that
2: if my I believe if my father knew <laughs> that what I took from that little conversation that one day,
1: oh my goodness. and turned
2: it into something that was really so negatively devastating to my future finances. <laughs> He would never have said that. He no. he loved me too much. Absolutely. And, and, and he hated being in debt himself. He would have never strapped me with that.
0: I'm sure it never even but occurred to him. he
2: just yeah he just said it because that's just what he said. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, I also sure. like to look at the didn't other side. He had no idea
2: that being an adult to me was such a big deal. He didn't know that those words put together would literally imprint me for decades. No, was... of, of poverty.
0: He was just trying to but, give know, a quick would, answer to his daughter. You want to talk about how poverty is it.
2: created? It's <laughs> by really dumb beliefs about money.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, he just wanted to give an answer to his daughter because he needed to get back to balancing the books. And, and you know, I, well, just exactly. go away. I'll, I'll deal with you later, okay, Wendy? You know.
2: <laughs> exactly. You're exactly right because that was my dad. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but you know, I want. Um, you know, I've read. Uh, for, forget for a moment that Donald Trump is the pre- president but like when he was non president and he was just the real estate guru right. you know i was reading his books on how he became the real estate guru and his his he was filled as a as a uh, as a child being reared by you know his father teaching him how to be mm-hmm. a real estate guru oh yeah and how to be really wealthy so it's not like it's any accident that he became really good at creating money This is true. Because he was trained in it. They were thoughts and beliefs that he had that he thought about over and over and over and over, you know? And there there actually became an expectation for him to do it because that's what his father desired for him. That was not how I was raised.
0: And and we can even go a step further and say not only did he learn how to make money, he also learned how to, shall we say, behave in a not entirely honest way toward his fellow beings in order to create that money. (laughs) He was very good at it, just like his father was. They were both very, very good at it, and, and he learned it. He learned it over time. I'm, I'm not saying that it excuses some of his behaviors, but certainly he learned that at his father's knee. You know, So mm-hmm. we, we pick up all kinds of stuff from our parents. We pick up all kinds of stuff from all the adults of our childhood. Um, but here's the, thing, the question and I wanted to lead up kind of to. On
2: a, well, and just in a very different arena, I remember hearing Oprah um, now of course she grew up very poor but she never f- focused it on money. Mm. She actually said in this one interview, "Oh, I never I never worried about money. I always knew that that would that would come." Mm. She was focused on the the things that she did within her career and how it impacted people.
1: Which is very cool. But it was
2: just interesting. It was like a side comment. She the, somebody the interviewer asked, "Well, you know, were you looking to, like, get wealth? She said, oh, no, I never even thought about that. Mm. Never really thought about it. I knew money was, like, kind of already taken care of for me. I was, I was focused on this other stuff. And I went, wow. She almost said that flippantly, not to be disrespectful to money, but just, like, it just wasn't a big deal for her. Right. Which said to me that somehow she did not focus on lack.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: Not quite sure how that happened, considering she came from quite a lot of financial lack, but Mm -hmm. it just wasn't something she focused on. I went, wow, that's amazing.
0: Well, that also ties in. All these great stories that you've been bringing in all tie into the question that I've been wanting to raise, which is this. If beliefs are thoughts that we think over and over again and if we pass those along both in terms of propaganda and just general messages that get passed along from generation to generation if all of that can create belief then isn't it also true that we can create belief for the positive deliberately such as through passing along knowledge about how deliberate creation works how the law of attraction really works and and what it actually takes to change ideas of lack into ideas of prosperity and how to make those ideas of prosperity actually be our way of thinking so that the prosperity actually shows up. I think all of these stories point to, yes, yes, we can do that. And, and that's what fuels me where my old issue about uh, the monetary system goes today. Because if I was still stuck on that old issue the way I was back then, I would be really stuck, let me tell you. The only way I came out of that was recognizing <laughs> I don't have to fix it. I don't have to go in and change the government. I don't have to get a new party elected. I don't have to get a movement going. I don't have to do any of that because, first of all, none of that's going to do it anyway. Second of all, it really is not related to what the solution to the problem is because the solution is not to keep focusing on how bad the monetary system is. The solution is to keep focusing instead on what does it take for people to understand how to make their lives financially abundant. An entirely different conversation which is, by the way, one of the reasons we do these podcasts. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Well, and I'm thinking about that last statement about how do we – can you repeat that? How do we do something about improving our financial something?
0: Yeah, I I was trying to find a way to rephrase it to something like, how do we change our mindsets to mindsets of abundance? And how do we start thinking about uh, stuff abundantly and in terms of of, uh, money being not – a lack thing, but actually a present thing. Because as we start to do that, and that idea gets spread through more and more people, not only adopting the idea but also gaining the fruits of it, that idea starts to change the way society thinks in the long run. Until we finally get so, to the point where this whole this whole divide thing kind of disappears as a thought, because it's been replaced by something much more effective.
2: I'm thinking of jumping over the question of how do you do it to just focusing on it being done. Okay, that's good. And I'm just playing with this right now. I like it. Go with it. If you focus on it being done and start to really feel it so that your vibrational broadcast is strong and solid as though it is already done, then I'm I'm surmising that based on the law of attraction, the how-to impulses will show up to those that have ears to hear Mm -hmm. and are in the receptive mode and they can receive it. Mm -hmm. So even if we never focus on how do we do this, and we just focused on the doneness of it, it would happen.
0: And that's certainly the solution end. I mean, that's looking at the right end of it for certain.
2: Because, you know, the um, experiment that I've been working on for a couple weeks now of this thing I wanted to just deliberately create that I have not yet named on the air. Right. I'm still working on it. And Sunday morning I woke up and I noticed I felt I was just in a really frustrated place. And I went, wait a minute, I just heard Abraham say yesterday that, like, when you wake up in the morning, you are at your highest vibration of the day. And I'm like, well, that sure du- was dumped really quick, because they said <laughs> the only way that you don't stay in it is if you drag back into the new day maybe some negative things you were thinking about from before. And I went, what on earth am I thinking on that brought me into this uh, place? And I realized I was frustrated because I didn't know what to focus on for my my, my new test that i'm doing mm. and so i just said to the universe i'm not gonna i'm not waking up right now it was about eight in the morning i'm not waking up now i want some kind of evidence or new information that will put me in a better place so i'll know what to focus on and we're
0: gonna and have, have to, to, to stop right there and find out tomorrow what that thought was because we're completely out of time when I mean, we're we're like past time so i'll just have to say I let's do it again tomorrow
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so i'll see you tomorrow
2: okay I'll be here. I'll tell the rest of it then.
0: All right. And we hope you're all back, too, here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.
2: Bye now.